Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So today I walked up to our house and I saw this kite uh, just sitting there and um, immediately just had images in my head of my kids playing with it earlier in the day and just running around, and uh, which is actually incredibly timely because today we're beginning a brand new series on the Holy Spirit called Form and Fire and talking about what does it look like for us to be a spirit-filled church. And this kite actually represents a inc- really beautiful picture of the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think that this, this kite by itself, me holding it, uh, you can see the functionality of it. You can see the artistry of it. You can uh, see the colors and, and even how it works. But unless there's wind in it, it's not going to be able to fulfill its purpose. And that's really the goal of the next eight to nine weeks is to explore what scripture says about the Holy Spirit. Because a kite without the wind is like the church without the spirit. That we may be able to function at some level. We may be able to be observed by those around us of of our purpose. But until the spirit of God resides within us, we're not going to be able to fully uh, fulfill the purpose that God had for the church and had for us. And so if you guys have a Bible... We're going to be hanging out in a couple of different places today uh, to kind of set the stage, if you will, for the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to be exploring the idea of where do we see the Holy Spirit showing up in Scripture and then exploring ideas like how does, that, how does that translate to today, both in the life of the individual and also in the life of the community. And I recognize that in a, in a topic and a subject like the Holy Spirit, that Uh, not everyone's coming from the same spot. Uh, Recently, I've had many conversations around the Holy Spirit that have varied dramatically. Uh, I just had a conversation with one of our neighbors here in Encinitas, and she was asking about the church and doesn't really have uh, kind of a Christian background, and she was asking about what makes us unique as a church. And, And somehow we got into the conversation about the Holy Spirit, and she's like, well, what's the Holy Spirit? And started having this dialogue about the Trinity and how there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that this community makes up the one God that we worship. And it's the Holy Spirit who's this continuing active agent in our life that leads us and guides us into truth, that convicts us. And kind of in her own words, just began to say like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of like a guide. It's something it is. And watching her kind of put these pieces together Uh, just reminded me that for many of you who are watching this, the Holy Spirit might just kind of be a new concept. And so our hope is that we'll be able to unpack that a little bit. But I've also had other conversations of people that their understanding of the Holy Spirit within the context of church has been one that's, that's been a little bit overwhelming and maybe frightening and for some even damaging. And so I recognize that those just even hearing that we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit might just come with this sense of baggage, a sense of um, already assuming where we're going with it. And I would just love to invite you just to kind of um, suspend judgment for a little bit and for us just to kind of all arrive with a sense of a blank canvas for us not to be able to kind of introduce our preference, but rather for us to look at the scriptures and to see where he lies. And then 
also there's people on the other end that the Holy Spirit kind of has taken center stage uh, for for their Christian tradition. And with that comes their own set of presuppositions as far as this is how the Holy Spirit should operate within the church. And so whether the Holy Spirit is a brand new concept for you, whether it's kind of had a negative connotation, or whether it has taken a central role, I just want to invite you in on this journey for us to figure out what does it look like for us to be formed and filled with the Spirit of God. And so for today, we're going to be looking at three different uh, themes in Scripture that will kind of set the stage. The first one is we're going to be looking at creation. Uh, It's within the opening words of Scripture that we're introduced to the Holy Spirit. And in creation, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit brings beauty and order. Secondly, we're going to be kind of jumping to the middle of the Bible, where the people of God find themselves in the midst of exile because of their rebellion, because of their hard hearts. And once again, the Holy Spirit shows up and it gives them hope from their their past brokenness, but also gives them hope as they look forward to the future. And lastly, we're going to be looking at the arrival of Jesus and his kingdom and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in forming the church, filling the church for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And so if you guys have a Bible, we're going to begin at the very front of the, of the Bible. The very first page, the first words of the Bible begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so the Bible opens up with a Hebrew poem, a song, that is is telling the people of God about their origin story, about how this all came to be. And as the poem opens up, it introduces us to what the, the Hebrew language calls the Ruach, which is the Spirit. The Spirit, in the Old Testament and in the New, is the personal presence of God that animates and brings life to His creation and also awareness to who God is. And so we see this Ruach, and it says that it's hovering over, over the deep. It was formless and void. Tohu vavohu in the Hebrew, which Dr. Tim Mackey says is our understanding is that it's wild and waste. And so whatever was there wasn't there in the beginning. It has this essence of it being wild and untamed and dark. And in this place of chaos, we are introduced to the Spirit of God that hovers over it. And as the Spirit of God hovers over it, life begins to emerge. God speaks. The Word speaks. We later find out is Jesus, the Son, the Logos, the Word. And as God, the Father, speaks that the Spirit of God hovering over this space, we are introduced to this poem, this series of creation, the first one being light. And after each thing is created, There's this repeating refrain, as most poems have. And this poem says, and it was good. So we have the Ruach, 
hovering over the tohu vavohu, this wild and waste, um, chaotic darkness. And as it begins to bring about light and darkness and separation and order and beauty, God says that it is good. And so the first thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is that it is the Spirit of God that comes to hover over the chaos and to bring beauty and order and goodness out of it. And I think that there's something about what the Spirit does in creation that continues to be woven throughout the whole story of Scripture, which is woven into the very story of us. Because that same Spirit, that breath of God, same word, is put inside of humanity in the next chapter. So every single one of us, because of the Spirit of God, have the ability to have life. Mary Oliver, the poet, in her poem Devotion says, Maybe the desire to make something beautiful is the peace of God that is inside each of us. There's something about human beings that is distinct from every other created being in the world around us, in our ability to create, to see darkness, chaos, things that are wild and out of order, and to create beauty and order out of them. There's something of the Spirit of God that, that marks us. It shouldn't surprise us that really the next time we see the Spirit of God showing up after, after He gives Joseph wisdom is in Exodus chapter 31. The people of God have been led out of Egypt and God is now forming for Himself a people that would end up becoming the Israelite nation. And at the very beginning of this, the people of God are led by fire by night and a pillar of cloud in the day. And that was the presence of God. And then somehow as they're being led into the desert, God begins to start giving them instructions to create a mobile temple that would house the presence of God, the Spirit of God, and so which would be called the tabernacle. And so in Exodus 31, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. And so we see this Spirit of God creating, and then we see the Spirit of God showing up again to fill an artist. To do what? To create. It says it has all kinds of crafts, and there's this artisanship, and, and I think this is really beautiful. What is the, the very first person we see filled with the Spirit of God creating? He's creating a home for the Spirit of God. He's creating the tabernacle, something to house the very presence of God. And so our introduction to the Spirit of God is this creative, beautiful, personal, intimate force that comes and brings beauty and order out of chaos. Well, the, the people of God who had been rescued from Israel are established as God's people. They are given what's called a covenant, which is kind of relational terms. Think about when, when Jen and I get married, we agree to a set of terms that living life together means we're faithful to each other, that we belong to one another. We're not going out and trying to find other relationships, that, that this is something we've given our life to for better or for worse in sickness and in health. Well, similarly, God gave the Israelite nation terms, these relational terms called a covenant. 
And God held up his end of the bargain, but the people of God, like every single one of us, have failed to live up to those. And eventually, after repeated senses of restore, um, restoration, uh, eventually the people of God, because of their inability to keep up their terms of the covenant, are exiled. They're removed from the land that was promised to them. And as they're removed from the land in exile, this is where we see the prophets in the Old Testament come to play. And they're reminding them why they got there, but they're also reminding, of, reminding them of where God is in their midst and how they're going to get out of it. One of those prophets, one of the most beautiful, somewhat bizarre prophets was someone by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel in the second half of his book, in chapter 34, starts telling them about the hope of their return to the promised land. And he starts talking about how there will be a king from the line of David who's going to come. And that this king is going to bring about the spirit. Listen to this in Exodus 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I love this. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Now that phrasing, I will put my spirit in you, talking collectively to the people of God, was new. What was also new about this statement is God saying, I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it will be marked by that you won't have to have a law that you abide by. The law will be written in your heart. How do you know that? Because of the Spirit of God placed inside of you. This is beautiful prophetic promise we see fulfilled when Jesus comes. But the next chapter illustrates this in dramatic, vivid, uh, almost play-like illustration in chapter 37, it says, Then he said to me, uh, God brings Ezekiel out to this valley. And in this valley, he looks like there's a war that had gone on maybe years, decades before, and it's just filled with bones. And God asks him, Can these bones live? Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make my breath, my ruach, enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And I, I love this picture, right? After this prophetic hope of God will put his spirit inside of you, he brings Ezekiel out to this valley of a war that had gone wrong and bones that had dried up. And he says prophesy twice is prophesy over these bones and it creates a form and then he says prophesy to the breath and then the breath of God the Ruach comes and fills them 
which I think is a beautiful imagery of what we've called this series, Form and Fire, that the Spirit of God comes to form us, to, to give us a sense of structure and steadiness, and then He fills us, and then He breathes in us, and this this incredible imagery of ultimately what is pointing towards resurrection. Right, this is what Jesus came to fulfill, which it should not surprise us that when Jesus shows up, the very first thing that happens as he begins his ministry is what? He's baptized. As he comes out of the water, the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, saying, this is my Son who I am well pleased. And so at that moment on, the Spirit of God leads Jesus um, in the way and in the will of the Father. And he goes and he himself dies. But what happens? His body comes back to life. And as he's resurrected, something really interesting happens in John chapter 20, verses 21. And his resurrected state, right? The bones that used to be laying there have come to life and his breath in his lungs. Jesus said, this is after he's resurrected. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, they were dispersed. So those, those disciples, those people following in the way of Jesus, then began to pray and wait for this promise. This promise that Jesus said a couple chapters earlier. It says, very truly, I tell you, it's good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate the, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So they waited. They waited for these, this moment of expectation, this prophecy that wasn't just about a messianic king. It was about what Ezekiel said, what Joel chapter 2 said, that the Spirit of God would no longer dwell inside a temple or a tabernacle. It would fill the hearts of the people. And so guess what happens in Acts chapter 2, just 50 days after the resurrection, as they're waiting in one room, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Ezekiel's prophet, prophecy, Joel's prophecy came true. The Spirit of God, no longer dwelling in, in one singular place, had filled the people of God and it, be, and it continued to fill the people of God as the early church was birthed. This was not a phenomenon. This was a calculated prophesied event that they were anticipating. Gordon Fee, who's one of the world-renowned scholars on the Holy Spirit, says this, Above all else, the coming of the Spirit meant that God's people also had been ushered into the new age. That is, shouts Peter, the Spirit is here. The new age has begun. What we must understand is that the Spirit was the chief element, the primary ingredient of this new existence. For them, it was not merely a matter of getting saved, forgiven, prepared for heaven. It was above all else to receive the Spirit, to walk into the new age with power. They simply would not have understood our Pentecostal terminology, Spirit-filled Christian. That would be like saying Scandinavian Swede. And so this, the kind of the subtitle of this series is A Spirit-Filled Church, but for the, for the early church, that's just redundant. The church, the people of God, are spirit-filled people. 
and we kind of put them into categories as charismatics or Pentecostals or things like that. But for the early church, if we are going to be true to the whole story of the Bible, God's filling of his people marked the beginning of the new age as much as the resurrected Messiah did. It went hand in hand. And so what we see here at the beginning of the church is form and fire. We see as the fire came on Pentecost, what did we see happen after that? We see that the people of God begin to start forming themselves. We see in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, a community starting to gather around rhythms and practices of, of sharing all things in common and hearing the apostles teaching and breaking bread with gladness in people's homes. We see in Acts chapter 6, it says that in those days when the, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so the Greek Jews, among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because their, widow, because their widows were being overlooked for the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on the tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of this spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what do you start seeing happening? A form. And I think sometimes when it comes to the, the topic and the theme of the Holy Spirit, uh, we see these two camps. We see kind of the fire camp, which is experiential. It's a release of God's Spirit. Or we can see kind of a formation camp, which kind of comes from more of the monastic movement and spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. But the New Testament church was marked by both, by form and fire. It was a community devoted to the apostles' teachings and the practicing the way of Jesus. It was also people who had received something that was unexplainable. It was something that was clearly a move of God. It was a kite in its form, but a fire had come and filled it with its wind. And so just a, a question as we, as we kind of conclude our introduction is, um, where do we go from here? What's the application? And I, gotta, I have to be honest, uh, applying the work of the Holy Spirit is an interesting mental exercise because the application is not something that we do as much as something that we open ourselves up to. If we want to be a Spirit-filled people, formed and filled by the Spirit of God, then our role is to open ourselves up to the work of God more than just exerting energy in our own work towards God, if that makes sense. So just to retouch on these three different themes. Number one, when we look at creation, we see beauty and order. So what areas can you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the dark places of your life and your heart? So just ask yourself, are, is there a tohu vavohu in your own life? Is there something wild and waste, something dark and chaotic that you just need the Spirit of God to come and rest upon? Something that would take what's, what's chaotic and dark and turn it into something beautiful. Where can you see God's Spirit mark your life in your eyes and open yourself up to beauty? Ralph Walter Emerson says, Never lose an opportunity of seeing anything beautiful, for beauty is God's handwriting. I love what William Temple said. Uh, he says, To worship is to purge the imagination by the beauty of God. I just love that. Worshiping allows the beauty of God to come and purge our mind with things that are not, 
things we uh, Philippians says are to think about, but to think about things that are pure and lovely, good and noble. And so I think our first application is to see where the Spirit of God may come and hover over the dark, chaotic places of our life and to see where He may be starting to make beauty out of it. Second application, if we look at the part of exile, is just looking at the, the bones and the breath. Are there areas of our life that have been marked by, by uh, that have become dry, have become maybe even dead? that we just need the Spirit of God to come and rush in and breathe new life again. And I, and I recognize that this is a sensitive topic because if we're talking about things that have, have dried up or died, and speaking kind of in a metaphorical sense, these tend to be the more tender areas of our life. And I think some of us may just be invited just to pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come and breathe life again? Maybe it's in a marriage that has grown uh, stale and your heart has become calloused Holy Spirit come breathe new life again maybe it's in your own relationship to Jesus that you've lost your first love Holy Spirit come breathe new life again maybe like it said in Ezekiel chapter 36 your heart has grown to stone and that the Holy Spirit could come and make it flesh again that you can just say Holy Spirit make my heart soft again towards my kids or my my the person who's hurt me and and just invite that work of the spirit and just the last thing i would just say is is less individual and it's more corporate it's more to our community is could we as a people and as a community invite the spirit of god to form us and fill us we want form and fire we don't want to have some sterile tame community where it's somehow manufactured by people's own contribution and gift. We want to take that and we want to build around what the Spirit of God is doing, to be sensitive to that. I love what Francis Chan said in his book, The Forgotten God. He says, The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. And that, that's our prayer, is that we've been a church now for four years, and God has done incredible things, but I have to be honest, I think it's just the beginning. That if we become a church that is open and receptive to the Spirit of God, His leading and His empowerment, His formation and His fire, that we will continue to see Him do great things within us and within our community for the sake of those around us. And so would you just join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Would you fill us? Would you feel me? Would you feel the person who's listening or watching to this right now? God, we just, we just say, Lord God, that there's places of chaos and darkness in our life. Would you come and rest and hover over those areas? Would you make beauty and order out of those places? God, we confess that there are areas that feel like a valley of dry bones in our life. So Spirit of God, would you come would you bring things back together and would you fill us with your breath? Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, we ask for our church 
God, we ask that we would continue the advancement of your kingdom, not as a result of our own work or dedication or morality or tradition, but simply because we have received the Spirit of God inside us and walk accordingly to it. So Holy Spirit, come. You breathe your life into us. Lord, would you make us a church filled with, responsive to, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.